So here's what we're going to do each week as we get started. You're going to get your Bibles out. You're going to get your listening guides out. You'll be able to take some notes and have some discussion about what the preacher said this week in your Bible study because it's always good to have preacher for Bible study, right? That's the snack we have at Bible study time. Um, And then what I want to do each week with you is start the coming memory verse. Remember on this these uh, spiritual growth campaigns, we always have a memory verse each week. Now, I, I will say to you that I went through these verses, and um, five of six are, are real short, all right? And, and the sixth is just moderately longer. So you'll be encouraged that these are some that you can capture in your heart, that you might not sin against God. Isn't that what Scripture says? I, I treasure your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what this is about. And so I would encourage you to do that. The the first of our memory verses is here on the wall. It's found in Matthew in the Beatitudes where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Say that with me. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Will be shown mercy. I memorized it in a different way. See how that happens? One more time. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Work on that this week. That's in Matthew 5, verse 7, and something that we need to treasure. Isn't it good that we will be shown mercy? Amen? Yeah, without mercy, where, where would I be? Holy smokes. Here is, here's the verse that's kind of going to set the whole stage for us. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 says, this a new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful that mercy that we long for that mercy that we need today we begin this sixth annual spiritual growth campaign don't miss out don't miss out on the Bible study you know the the sermons might be good but church happens in those small groups community happens in those small groups that's where we know one another and, and can pray for one another and can can get involved in each other's lives and so I invite you to be involved in those groups they are all open to you to come and be a part of any one of them throughout this next week and Throughout the next couple of weeks, if you, you know, you make a commitment today and you decide you're going to, and I know how that goes, and then, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever the group is, rolls around, and, and you're lazy and you don't go, right? And then you think, well, I missed it, so I can't. No, 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 no. You, you can catch up. It's not that hard. We'll hand you the DVD. You can go on, on YouTube and watch these videos on YouTube and catch up rather easily, so don't let that be your excuse um, but go this week. Be a part of it this week. So we're going to look this, these next weeks together at mercy, rather in depth at mercy. So, so as we think about that, what is, what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is that undeserved forgiveness that we all long for, you know? We, we know we, we need forgiveness. We know that. We just don't really know if, if we deserve it. Ever met anybody like that? Maybe you're that person when you look in the mirror. You know you don't deserve it, right? So the mercy of God has to be, for us to get it, has to be undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. That kind of couples with that concept of grace, doesn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. That it's this this. Un- I can't earn it. I can't be good enough to gain God's mercy to to earn it in my life, to deserve it in any way, shape, 
or form. So you think about mercy, and we, we wonder maybe, well, why, why mercy for a spiritual growth campaign? Couldn't we pick another word out of the Bible that maybe is more significant than that? Do you realize that Scripture describes God more as a merciful God than any other thing? People don't think of him that way. Do, uh, people around you at work or, or at school or wherever you are throughout the week, they think of God as a, as a God of judgment, don't they? And sometimes isn't that how we portray him? But that's not the primary way God is described in Scripture. A primary characteristic of God in Scripture is mercy, that he is a God of mercy. It's, it's one of the, the number one character traits of our God. And man, it's a good thing, isn't it? Because you and I, don't we need mercy every single day, every minute of every day, every second of every day? Because if one second goes by, I mean, I've accomplished a good thing. And I didn't need God's mercy for that second. The next second, I'm a little prideful about that. And I need it then, don't I? Second by second throughout the day, every day, we need his mercy. So, So I wonder, I wonder, do you need mercy? Do you need mercy in your life? Why do you need mercy in your life? And And what difference has mercy made? What difference would mercy from God into your life right now today? What difference would it make anyway? Does it matter? I I mean, if it doesn't make a difference, then I would contend that this is just an old book. And we ought to put it on a shelf with the rest of the old books because it's just a bunch of old stories. The difference is, is that this is a living book and it makes a difference in my life today. That's what's different about Scripture. It's, It's living and active. It divides in my life the good from the bad, the places I need his mercy, right? It, it shows that, and it shows me how God's mercy works. I mean, I think about the places in my life I need mercy. Maybe these are yours, too. You know, when I've done something I'm ashamed of. Anybody? Ever, ever been there? So you don't show up to church for a few weeks? Yeah? Because you're kind of feeling the load of it on your shoulders? Yeah, we've all been there, right? We, we really don't want to hear it because we already know and, and we're ashamed. Or, or when I'm angry, you know, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God in my life or your life or anybody else's life. I've found that to be true. And when I'm angry, I find this, this barrier between myself and God and I'm, I'm needing, longing for his mercy. Oftentimes when people are angry, we don't give them much mercy, do we? If you're angry at me, I'm kind of angry back at you. We're going to see today how Jesus, he he provides mercy to to the angry man. All right? And what about when you're afraid? Ever ever, ever fearful of anything and, and you just need mercy to make it through? You know, there's some battle in your life, some great obstacle that you're facing, some some struggle that you're you're going through and and you're afraid and, and you need his mercy. If you fully understand the implications of mercy, God's mercy in your life, then I would contend with you that you and I we would not live the way that we do. It would change us. You wouldn't struggle so much with with fear. You wouldn't struggle so much with anger. You wouldn't struggle so much with shame in your life if you really understood the implications of God's mercy on your life. 
So today what I want to do is look at three stories real briefly, real quickly. That's why you're going to have to talk about them later this week. We're going to look at three stories where Jesus showed mercy. So without any further ado, let's go, all right? You ready? Number one, I need God's mercy when I've messed up, right? Been there, done that, experienced that. None of us is perfect. Anybody, anybody perfect? Anybody know a perfect person? I'm close to perfect. I tell people all the time I'm close to perfect. I'm close to Jesus, and Jesus is perfect. And the closer I get to Jesus, the closer I get to perfect. But in and of myself, I'm never going to get there, right? We know we're not perfect. We, we've never met that person that's perfect. Apart from Christ, no one is perfect. No one of us bats a thousand. I don't measure up to my standards, your standards, let alone God's standards. That's where we need his mercy in our life. I mean, God is, is the only one who is, is perfect. Jesus, the only perfect man. Apart from him, Scripture says all have sinned. Scripture says if you say you've never sinned, then you deceive yourself. Have you done that before? When you've messed up? Oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's not, you know, we try to forget about it. Try to move on with our lives, right? And not deal with it. We've got to stop and, and deal with it. Or, or look at this verse. We all stumble in many ways. Agree? So many places I find that I can stumble in life. In my attitude, I can stumble. My wife, she'll point that out once in a while. Right, guys? That, that my attitude is not quite where it needs to be. Or our parents, that's why God has ordained parents in our lives, to, to point that out in our lives. And we, we stumble in our actions sometimes. We stumble with our words sometimes. Ever say something you regret it? Saying? Yeah. Probably. Probably could have shown a little more grace in some of that terminology that we use, the way that we spoke to, the way that we feel sometimes, or our emotions aren't quite right. We, see, we get, we, we get trapped up, don't we? Find yourself in that. We, we get caught in the same old trap, the same old snare, over and over and over and over. Anybody got one of those sins in their life? You know, you just, you try as you may, it's tough to shake it off. And you seem like you keep falling in the same hole over and over and over again. I mean, you know well by now how to get out of that hole and where to repent and find your way home. But why do I keep falling in the same hole every time? Boy, do I need his mercy. Boy, do I need his grace. So how does God react when you mess up? Think he's angry with you? I think that's kind of the first thought, isn't it? We think he's angry with us. But look at John 8, beginning in verse 2, where, where he tells a story of a humiliated woman. And Jesus experiences this with this woman. It says, one day Jesus was teaching a crowd outside the temple, and some Pharisees brought a woman. You know the story, caught in adultery. <laughs> oh, my, right? I mean, this is that story. And they put her on display in front of the crowd then said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. So what do you say? See, what they were trying to do is they were trying to trap Jesus. That he might say something that they could use against him. I would say to you in that passage, circle the, the word caught. Ever been caught in a sin? 
Ever been caught in a wrong relationship? This lady was caught in a wrong relationship. Ever been caught in a wrong place, a wrong business relationship? Circle the word trap because that's what they were doing. And there's these two traps always there looking to trap us in the wrong relationships and the wrong reactions. That's what they were looking for with Jesus. And then I wonder, what are you caught in? You know, this, we know what this lady, she was caught in. What are you caught in? What, what are you caught in that you know is the wrong place for you to be, be, believer? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself there. Yeah? You don't know how to get away from it. You don't know how to get out of it. You, you think God's mad at you because you're in it? Whatever that is, in a, in a bad business relationship, a dishonest one, you know, and things are going on that you know shouldn't be, shouldn't be going on. In a bad relationship, you're caught. You're, you're caught in the, in the, the mix, right? And it's, it's so tough sometimes. And we know it's not honoring to God, the place that we are in that relationship. Or, or what about a secret habit maybe that you have? Any of those? You don't have to raise your hand. How about addiction? How about caught in materialism? How, how about the trap of pleasing other people? Anybody a people pleaser? One of the ugliest traps you can fall into is that trap. Because other people will run your life. If you don't have a purpose, they'll have a purpose for you. They'll direct your life. About living that double life, that, that secret habit. Verse 6, read, look at it. It says... And they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he started to to doodle in the dirt. We don't know what he was saying. Scholars have argued about this for years. Nobody really knows what he was writing in the dirt. And and I don't know that it really matters. But I do know it made an impression on those who were standing around. Maybe he was writing their secret sins in the dirt. They thought nobody knew about those sins. About their arrogance. About the spousal abuse going on. About the infidelity and the tax evasion and the porn in their lives. See, if I've learned anything after 35 years in the ministry... I've learned everyone has a secret sin. Everyone has something that they need mercy for. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. And you shudder, don't you, to think that anyone would discover that about you? Precious you. Keep reading. And they kept badgering Jesus, demanding an answer. Finally, Jesus stood up and he said, Here's my answer. If one of you has never sinned, we already asked that question. None of us raised our hands. Then that person, you throw the first stone. Then he stooped back down again and he continued to write in the dirt. Here's what I like about this story. I love that Jesus protected this woman's dignity in this public place. When they brought her out and and they paraded her before everyone at church. That he protected her dignity. You, you don't, hear me, you don't have to agree with a person, the way they're living their life, what they're into, their actions. You don't have to agree to treat them with dignity. Church. Keep reading. When the accusers heard this, they began to slip away one by one, beginning with the oldest until just Jesus and the woman were left there. And the older I get, anybody with me on this? The more I'm aware of how much I've really messed up. 
Oh, do I need God's mercy in my life? How about you? It's grace. I mean, pretending, young people, I got to tell you, pretending, if, if you're under 25, then it's exhausting. You know, you don't have to pretend. God knows. It's, it's so much more meaning. You can get on with life if you stop pretending. You know, most of us don't figure that out until we're 55. Figure it out now. Live your life the way God has for you to live for His glory and His honor. Make much of Him. At that point, Jesus stood back up and quietly said to her, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave your sinful ways. He didn't condemn her like you think he's going to condemn you for your secret sin. He didn't. He didn't condone it. He didn't say, oh, it's okay, just going back to what you were doing. That's not what he said. He said, go and sin no more. Jesus changed her. Jesus changed her heart. That's what he wants to do. You see, he wants to change your life, to put you on a new track. That's what mercy's all about. Isaiah said this, and I think we could say it was probably in, in, in light of, of Christ's coming. Jesus, you know, was sent to announce freedom to all who are held captive, forgiveness to all who have been imprisoned by that secret sin, by that thing that imprisons you and imprisons me. God's mercy forgives and frees me from my guilt, me from my shame, you from your shame. I mean, what's got you locked up inside? What is it? Regret? Regret can just lock you up inside, can't it? And it can be your little secret prison. What's got you locked up? Resentment? Life just hasn't gone the way that you think it should go? You look around and it seems like it's gone so well for everybody else and, and you're locked up in resentment. Shame because of the way you've lived your life? Mercy is for that. What about envy? What about worry? What about addiction? What about those things that lock you up? inside of you what's your secret prison that's what that secret sin inevitably becomes i don't i don't know i i don't know what you're ashamed of but if you're worried about it if you're worried about how jesus will respond to you look at this verse hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this jesus understands every single weakness that you have Everything, because he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. But he didn't sin at all, see? So, whenever we're in need, get this. What we should do, rather than going and hiding, rather than staying away from church for a month or two, what we should do is bravely come before the throne of what? Of who? Our merciful God. What I need when I'm ashamed is his mercy, where I will receive mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. Not a, not a stern rebuke, but, but a sympathetic understanding. Not this condemnation. You didn't see Jesus condemned. You saw him caring. Not, not judgment, but grace. Jesus shows us mercy when we mess up. Second, I would say to you, Every time, every day, I need God's grace. I, I need his mercy when I don't have what I need. 
Anybody got everything within yourself, all the resource that you possibly could ever need, just in, in your own abilities, in, in your own intellect? In your, no, you know, we're, we're all a little bit disabled, aren't we? We're, we're all just a little bit lacking. We're broken people. We have broken bodies. You know, the longer you live, the more you discover it, right? Every time I look in the mirror, there's something else broken. Seems like things just falling apart, right? Have you been there? You know, physically disabled, mentally, we're all a little disabled somewhere. I mean, there's something you don't understand. Something that you go, got me? I don't know how that works. Every one of us have limits within ourselves. We're finite, incomplete individuals and we have this lack in life and I need God's grace for the place I lack you know can I say to you your lack wherever you lack you you think oh man if I only if if this would only if I only could if I only would if I only understood if I only had that ability or this ability then life would be can I just say to you your lack is intentional The fact that you're finite, the fact that you're lacking, the fact that you don't have all the things you need to accomplish all you would like to is intentional. God did that on purpose so that you would have to depend on him and depend on each other. That's why he did it. Dependence is a good thing. We always think of it as a bad thing in America especially. But it's just another word for trust. God wants you to trust him. It gives him joy when you have to depend on him for strength, for direction, for for help, for hope, whatever it is. But, But when you don't trust God, you'll always, always, always come up short. Disappointed. Frustrated. Anybody ever felt that in life? angry, resentful. I mean, that's kind of how it works, doesn't it? I get disappointed and, and I, I get frustrated because it's not working out the way I want. And, and I get angry because frustration always leads to anger. And anger, eventually, man, I get resentful. Jesus tells a story. In fact, he met a man just like that in, in John chapter 5 in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. There was this pool, Bethesda. And it was surrounded by five covered porches and a large crowd of all sorts of disabled people. Kind of look around the room. Like us, we're there. And we think that this is, you know, these are really bad, horribly disfigured. Maybe they were, but maybe they were just us. We all know we have those places. All sorts of disabled people that would lie there by the pool, you know, sunning themselves, getting a tan, and waiting waiting for a miracle to happen. And there was this man there. And he was waiting for a miracle. And and he'd been there for 38 years, we're going to read in just a minute. And I think about, what, what have I been waiting for? What have you been waiting for that you need to happen in your life? What is, what is that? I mean, imagine how discouraged. He'd been there 40 years. He'd been waiting, and there was this, this legend that every once in a while an angel would stir up the water, and whoever was first, first, you know, we always like to get picked first. Whoever's first 
to get in the water while it's still moving would get what they needed, whatever it is. You ever have that kind of a thing? Oh, God, would you just please, please, oh, please give me what, whatever they needed. He made whole. One poor man, he'd been there waiting for 38 years. Imagine the disappointment in his life. You ever had any disappointment in your life? He couldn't do it for himself. He couldn't get what he needed. What's your secret disappointment? Where do you need the the mercy of God? And you're not really telling anybody, but it's all trapped up inside. And Jesus responded to him. Mercy, when Jesus saw this man, heard they'd been lying there for such a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Seems like, you know, Jesus, why are you asking that question, right? Isn't it obvious? Well, no. Is it any more obvious that you want to change? That I want to change? Don't you know that change is is a scary thing? Don't you know that people don't like to change? Because you don't like to change. Because change requires that you have to live a new way. Change is threatening. Any new thing is threatening. So we start making excuses of why we shouldn't have to change. And that's what this guy did. Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool. Jesus didn't ask that. Did he? Did Jesus ask, do you have anybody to help you in the pool? We're here now. We can help you in the pool. We'll just hang around until the... Legend comes true. How long will that be? He didn't ask that. You know, while I'm trying to get in there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. I mean, he he blamed other people. Ever been there? Told you before, I'm going to be lame. Blame. And that's what he did. He blamed others. Nobody's here to put me in. So, who are you blaming for your unhappiness? Hmm. He resented those who succeeded. Somebody's always there to get in ahead of me. Who who do I resent? Who do you resent for their success? Oh, I wish I was like. And then Jesus simply said, stand up, pick up your mat, walk. And when the man trusted Jesus, he was immediately able to walk. Don't you love those stories of healing? I love those stories of healing. Pray for for healing for my loved ones pretty frequently through the last 30 years. We do that, don't we? We pray for healing for the people around us and ask God to do this kind of a miracle in their lives and, and that he would... But you know... We live in a fallen place, don't we? We live on this earth. And and if anything I know about this earth, I know it ain't heaven. And not, not everybody in a fallen world is physically healed. We discover that. I don't like that. That's on my ask God list when I get to heaven one day. Is why he answered all these other prayers, but not that one. That one seemed most important to me. And he decided that it, it could wait. This is not heaven. We live in an imperfect world. And many, many, many godly people live with 
chronic pain and difficulty and suffering and agony. And I don't like that. But I do know when I ask God for help, He always helps. See, God's mercy makes the impossible possible. Even if it means I must go through See, because Scripture says what is impossible with men is possible with God. So what's the impossible problem in your life? Impossible thing you're facing right now. Where do you need His mercy? Please understand. People don't understand this. But but followers of Jesus, we face the same problems everybody else faces in this world. I don't, know, I don't know where this heresy gets interjected into so many people's theology that it ought to be all okay when we come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and your life will just be all wonderful. Never anything bad will happen. No, 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 no. We, we live in a fallen world. We're a fallen people. We're, we're in, in need of his mercy for the times when it hurts and I don't have enough. See, the, the, problem, the problems are the same exact problems that everyone faces. And though the problem may not be removed, God in his mercy will give the believer supernatural strength. to Handle whatever it is. What I'm saying is the difference between a Christian in pain and a non-Christian in pain a follower of Jesus in pain, and a pre-believer in pain is the grace to handle it. All I know is this ain't heaven. One day we will be problem-free, and there will be problem-free living. They call that heaven. But God does promise this. Look at it. He says, as, as you get to know Jesus better, He'll give you through His great power, power in your life, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power, that divine power, the divine spirit. He'll give you you great power, and through His great power, everything you need for living a truly godly life, regardless of the circumstances. Finally, it's that I need God's mercy when I'm facing death. Ever seen anybody die? Seeing people die with, without God's mercy. Refusing it. Scared to death. Of death. And I've seen. Watch my dad die. What grace. What mercy. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want? Because last time I checked. Death was a universal problem. Last time I checked, the death rate on this planet was 100%. Last time I checked, nobody gets out alive. It's inevitable. It's unpredictable. I have buried babies. That don't seem right. It seems, you know, so out of order, right? And then I've, you know, sat with families and and dad died at 90 years of age and it seems so sudden 
That's always said. That's always, always a part of the conversation. It just seemed like it was so sudden. It's like this unpredictable, sudden thing that happens to us. We never really look at it, and it's so final. Remember Jesus telling a story of mercy just exactly at that point in a man's life? Remember the story in Luke chapter 23? It was a story of Jesus on the cross, Jesus being crucified between two criminals. You know the story, don't you? Thief on either side, on his, on his left, on his right. The one on his left, left was ridiculing Jesus. I don't know if he's on his left. I just made that up. But one, one of them was, was, was ridiculing Jesus. You heal others. You, you claim to be God's son. You, you claim to have great power. You, come on down off that cross. Let me see it here. And oh, by the way, take me with you. And the other one. Asks for mercy. Here's the story. You know it. One of the criminals being ex- executed on the cross beside Jesus ridiculed him saying, if you're supposed to be the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? Save us too. And the second criminal rebuked him. Man, don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Don't you realize the seriousness of your situation? Don't you realize you're about to meet God? The the reason I think so many maybe get by without mercy is is that so many ignore God and, and ignore the fact that I'll meet Him one day. So we can ignore holiness and we can live however we want. We think of death as just an end, but it's not just an end. It's a start to eternity. And one day, one day we will, every one of us, stand before the living God of the universe and give an account for the way you live your life. The way you lived on planet earth amidst all the fallenness and brokenness and sin. And and did you reach out for mercy when you should have? When you could have. You can't ignore God anymore one day. Because we know the story goes they deserve to die. Well, we deserve to die. He says we deserve death we deserve to die for what we've done that's just confession that's being real that's what I was talking about earlier stop pretending we don't really know what this guy expected from Jesus he didn't really expect all that he knew he was a criminal he knew he hadn't lived the life that would make God proud he he'd committed serious crimes this was capital punishment that's pretty serious stuff He says, but this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. Don't say he's not as bad as we are. He's never done anything wrong. I mean, not a zero zip. Jesus never sinned. Have you ever met anyone who's never sinned? Only one person, right? One person in the universe who's never sinned, and he's God. And Jesus had to be perfect to provide your salvation. Don't you doubt that? That's why God sent his son to a fallen planet to die for you. Because it required that God do that. Because you couldn't do that. Because all you you do doesn't earn his mercy. 
Jesus had to earn it for us. Salvation requires a perfect Savior. Mark it down. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? The shortest salvation prayer anywhere. Remember me. I don't know what you think you need to pray for Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. All the theology that we want to build into this prayer and make sure we say the right thing and have the right formula. The guy on the cross just said, remember me. I mean, think about that. What's implied in those two words? He knows he can't do anything to save himself. Remember me. He'd made a mess of his life. He knows that. He'd wasted his life. He had nothing to offer. Remember me. He'd say, Lord, you know, know, here's what I've done. My check off, my Sunday school check sheet. See how good I am? Just remember me. Doesn't compare. That guy over there. Hear him? Hear what he's saying to you? I'm not saying that. He didn't compare himself. He said, remember me. Hanging there with no hope. So he throws himself on the mercy of God. That's what this study is about. That's what these weeks are for. For you and I to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Because I don't know about you. I need, I need his mercy every single day. I need his mercy every minute of every day. I need his mercy every second of every day. And if I think I get through a second without his mercy, the next second proves me wrong. I need his mercy. Believe that? Remember me, Jesus. It says it all. He believed Jesus was God. Not a poser, not an imposter. He didn't ask for Jesus to remove the pain to prevent his death. He said, remember me. And in God's mercy, he saves He saves. I want to show you how that worked just real quickly. We're done. Jesus replied, I assure you. The the man hanging there beside him said, remember me. And here's how salvation happens. Remember me. And Jesus replied, I assure you today. It's immediate. That's how salvation happens. Today, it's immediate. Today, you will be with me. You will. Not you might. Not if I can work it out with my father. Not if, not if we, we check and make sure you, you got all the checkoffs right. No, today, now, you will. Guaranteed, it's absolutely certain. You will be with me. Salvation is relational. It's a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, His Son. You will be with me. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about rituals. It's not about doing it all right. It's a relationship we have with Jesus. You will be with me in paradise. It's place. Hear me. The Lord is waiting to show you how kind He is have mercy on you.